Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Here we are back at it again on the Replant Boot Camp. So excited to be here with you, Bob. I had to move into the JBA office instead of the garage because cows were taking over my whole neighborhood. Cows? Like, what? don't you have gators down there? You have cows too? Uh, true story. The original name of Jacksonville, Florida is Cowford, C-O-W-F-O-R-D, because it's the part of the river where, where people would ford the cattle through the river. But, so there are a lot of cattle are, are around the outskirts. So Jacksonville is a major metropolitan city surrounded by cow farms. That's like the essential understanding of what Jacksonville is and golf courses. We have just an insane amount of golf courses. No, the cows are not in my neighborhood, but I saw the most Jacksonville, Florida, Duval news report I've ever seen in my life this past week that there's a neighborhood that made the news because somehow these rogue cows have taken over this entire subdivision and nobody knows what to do. I think you sent me the clip. And one of the odd things to me was that nobody knew who owned the cows, right? Whose they were. Yeah. They didn't have those ear tags. Like in Missouri, if you you stroll up on a cow, it's going to have a brand or it's going to have an ear tag that has a number on it that traces it somewhere. So apparently... These are just like stray cows that aren't tagged or chipped or branded or anything like that. So they're gator bait, actually. That's the only thing that could have made it more Jacksonville, Florida, is if while filming the story, a gator came out and attacked a cow. That would have made it. <laughs> Here's my thought about the cows. If, if they're still around, Jimbo, I'd take that forerunner of yours and I'd take a gun. I'd go shoot a cow, load it up on the forerunner and take it to a processor. And then you have like two sides of beef. And you guys are good for a long time. I've always said I've never been real big into hunting like some guys are because I'm not big into deer meat. I, I like it okay, mm-hmm. but I've just always thought, man, it's a lot of work for meat that I, I don't really prefer. But if cow hunting were a thing, I mean, I might could get into that. <laughs> there you go. Heard it on the boot camp. Cow hunting. Hey, when we do our replant boot camp boot camp, maybe we should uh, include a cow hunt. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I think we should definitely do that. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Well, good. Well, I am here at the JBA office. We've relocated and I'm excited to be in here with you as we nail down a couple episodes continuing in the change equation. This is such an important conversation because so much of the difficulty of church revitalization is overcoming resistance to change. And there are a lot of reasons that churches resist change. In Canoeing the Mountains, the author points out that people don't actually resist change. They're not scared of change. They're scared of loss. And as things change, they there is a sense of loss and grief that, that comes with that. And there's some other writings on that. But some of the reasons I think people resist change is they're not fully aware of the actual real condition of what's going on in the church. In their mind, everything is fine. It's it's not really that big of a deal. It's no big concern. And so they have a, they lack real knowledge of the condition, or they just prefer the security of things not changing because they fear loss. They prefer just, you know, I don't want everything to change because I feel very secure here. I feel secure what's going on. 
They have worship preferences that they're not willing to let go of. And those matter. And this is kind of a harsh way to say it, but it's one of the things that Clifton points out a lot is that it's really idolatry in their hearts. And they've got to recognize they've tried to find their comfort and their centeredness and their purpose in some sort of preference rather than Jesus. And we've got to fall more in love with Jesus than we do our preferences. There's been maybe decades usually of deficient discipleship or non-existent discipleship. And so we create consumer mentalities that lead to, well, it won't be what I want anymore. Well, discipleship helps us understand that it doesn't, it's not as significant what you want as much as the process that Jesus has you going through. And then a lot of that, I think, will lead to another reason is frequent pastoral turnover. Sometimes we'll end up with churches that I think really because of a lot of those things, and it's so hard for the pastor to lead change that they stay through their honeymoon and and then they go to another honeymoon. (laughs) Yeah, they get divorced from the church because they started changing some things. And the church is like, hey, we didn't want that. (laughs) Yeah. And so eventually it gets real difficult. This is why we always say, you know, preach, pray, love and stay. And that kind of five to seven year window of of a minimum and making sure you're doing that. And so if you haven't listened to the other episodes where we've gone through parts of the equation, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the part about holy discontent and about vision. Kind of reset that equation for us, Bob, and talk to us about what is our next step? What is our our next piece in the equation for today? Yeah, so the equation is what overcomes a resistance to change. And so on the greater than side of the equation, we see that holy discontent plus vision, plus first steps, plus leadership will combine along with the work of God to overcome the resistance to change. And so there's not just one thing that helps a church move forward and change. It's got to be multiple things. And so as we link all of those together, if you take some of those out, you're you're going to have activity, but you might not have lasting to change and you might not have a the ability to overcome the, the resistance to change. And so the idea is if you link some of these together, if you pray, if you see the work of God, that it's possible that these things could combine to help you overcome uh, a congregation's resistance to change and its desire to stay the same. Okay, so once we have come to a point of holy discontent, the things have got to change, and we've worked together with leadership prayerfully, pursuing the Word of God to get some clarity on vision. What what are those first steps, that, that next piece of the equation, what does that look like? Yeah, so first steps in terms of definition as it's part of this equation is this. It's a set of clear, actionable items that will begin to lead the congregation towards fulfilling that vision. So you, you've established the vision, what God wants you to do, and then great, right? You have the vision casting meetings, you have the small groups, you have, you put it on the wall, you send it out in the Sunday school, you know, letters, you put it on the church's website. And most of the time churches can go through a visioning process and it's posted in the wall, it's posted on the wall, but it ain't happening in the hall, right? And so, Really, you've got to make vision a reality. So first steps is what are you doing to actually see that vision move from something you say you want to do to something you actually end up doing? And so it it can be really easy for a church to develop a vision, but then it can be really difficult to implement that vision. And this is where things start to get really rocky because you start changing things, right? You start moving forward. And so it's a letting go and a moving forward. 
But it's really key in this point. You, you need to set some early wins. You need to, to start with some easy things that will lead you towards accomplishing the vision that God's called you to accomplish. And then you have, need to have sustained action over a period of time that's going to lead you forward in that particular direction so you fulfill the mission, the mission that God's given you, the mission and vision God's given you. Yeah, and I think this is where, so we've talked some through change leadership processes before, and one of the pieces we've talked about is the importance of kind of some of those easy wins, some of that low-hanging fruit in the beginning. Some of those first steps don't need to be massive, huge things, you know, because it as human beings, we we give up pretty quickly, you know, if, if you think about it. <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day, you look through scripture, right? And you see the Israelites as they're leaving slavery, and it does not take long for them after after magnanimous miracles, right? I mean, so after the 10 plagues and they get up against the sea, uh, the Red Sea, and, and already, already, <laughs> <laughs> they're going, you know what? Why did you bring us out here to die? Just exactly. Just, just take us back. Uh, and it's like every step of the way, this is what they do to Moses, right? Every, no matter what, how great the miracle, no matter how amazing these things that happen, they just very quickly, you know, we, you should have just left us in Egypt. You should have just, <laughs> yeah. should have just left us there. And then you see it with the disciples, right? The disciples continually. Jesus does these unbelievable miracles, and and over and over, they just continually question and doubt and. I mean, one of, one of the most encouraging verses in the Bible to me is in the, towards the end of Matthew 28, right as it's setting up the Great Commission. There, you know, Jesus in resurrected form is ascended, about to ascend into heaven. He's in resurrected form, standing with the disciples on a mountain. And there's this phrase, and some of them doubted. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and part of me is going, is skeptical. I'm going, my first thought when I first noticed that phrase in Matthew 28 is I thought, how? How in the world are you standing there with the resurrected Lord and Savior? And you're going, I don't know. <laughs> well, man, it's so true. And you painted such a great picture of the reality of we go on yes, we ignore yesterday's provision from God in the light of today's challenge, right? Mm. Yep. And it is so easy for us to go, that's too hard, right? Or we can't do that. Or, you know, this is impossible. And in forgetting what God has done. And I used to serve for a brief time with a, a guy who grew up in Texas. He was a church planter and just a really incredible evangelist and just learned a lot from him. And one of the things he said to me is he always called me Bud, not Bob, but Bud. He called everybody Bud. I think he even called girls Bud, right? <laughs> he just said, he just said, hey, Bud. Here's what I know. If Jesus saved you, there ain't nothing God can't do, right? And that's like the, that's a baseline. So if we're talking about first steps, one of the things you mentioned is in our churches that are in decline and struggling and near death, there's been a deficient discipleship. And I want to categorize this. Discipleship is not reading the Bible for information. Discipleship is reading the word of God and letting it transform you. And so churches have a deficient discipleship and forget that God has saved them and that with Christ, he will give them all good things. And then they will hold on to things that are nice things and they're okay things, but they're not God things. And so I think when we talk about first steps, 
one of the first steps can be, it should be, and we, we often ignore this in the world of church replanting and revitalization. We talk about changing the bylaws and getting strategies going and changing the music. And heaven knows the music sometimes needs to change because it can be really bad, right? But you can have great, impactful worship. You can find the guy with skinny jeans and worship leader hair who can sing the old hymns in a new jazzy version. But if the people's hearts aren't softened to the gospel, and if they aren't warm to the gospel, and if they're not surrendering their preferences and their life to the Lordship of Christ, it don't matter what you do. And so a first step, one of the very first, most important first steps is to really prepare the congregation spiritually. Otherwise, you got a church that's done, that's, that's upped its guest services, that's painted its building, that has diffused essential oils and gotten the old people smell out of the church, you know, whatever needs to happen there. But they really have, they've just done a lot of things in, in terms of activity that really won't help them move forward. And the real work in a church is a spiritual work. And I think we forget that too easily sometimes. So so hold on, hold on. Press press the brakes. Let me get some clarity <laughs> here. So you're telling me this First Steps episode, we're not going to provide like specific, clear, actionable next steps that every single dying and declining church could take to guarantee church revitalization? Yes, I'm telling you that. Why? Why? We'll st- <laughs> I detect a little bit of sarcasm in you, Jimbo, right now. <laughs> I feel like we could sell that. I feel like if we had a plan, if we had a plan that was foolproof. Hey, look, every stinking day on Facebook, I get some notification from somebody who's got a plan and I can buy it for $19 or $2,900. There's a range there. And just let me say this, if those plans worked to bring back a church to health and vitality, then we, every single church would be vital and healthy, right? So it's a spiritual work that leads to works, right? And so it's the whole thing with our salvation, right? We are saved to do good works. It's for, you know, grace by faith that we're saved in Christ Jesus. And then the next verse in Ephesians, Ephesians 2.10 says that, that, we are um, saved to do good works that God's prepared for us in advance. And so that's the, that's the thing we got to struggle here is we got to understand the gospel. We got to warm to the gospel and we got to understand what are the good works that the Lord has for us. And those are each uniquely individual for a person as they are a congregation. And I think the challenge for us sometimes is to try to apply the good works that somebody wrote in a book that worked at one church, but they're not our good works right? That God's designed for our unique congregation. So I think key, key parts of this, this uh, first steps are prepare the congregation spiritually, whatever that looks like. Well, you got to know where the congregation is deficient. And then from that, once you help the congregation through prayer, through preaching the gospel, through discipling relationships, through addressing idols and all those sorts of things, that prepares a congregation to move forward. And that, Jimbo, that takes a long time sometimes. Yeah, it makes me think of one of my favorite, so this is not a Christian quote, but it's it's probably my favorite leadership quote ever. Culture eats strategy for breakfast, Mm -hmm. right? And But the point that Peter Drucker is making in a business sense is you can have all the strategy in the world on paper, but if the culture of your organization is not such that it would lead to the desired outcome, then you won't get there. 
no matter how good your strategy is. So you take that idea and really all he's done is observe something out of the world, the way that God has designed the world to work. And in our congregations, as we're leading in churches, if we can have the best crafted vision statement, we can have the best strategy on paper, we can take a strategy from somebody else and and place it in. And no matter how good that strategy is, if the culture of the church is still very self-focused and not Christ-focused and not mission-focused, very consumer-driven and program-dependent rather than discipleship-driven, then your strategy is not going to get you anywhere. No matter how good your preaching is, no matter how well-designed your stage is, no matter how cool your worship set is, no matter how great your website and your graphic designs are and your social media, all of those things. I was talking with a guy who helps do some stuff like this for churches. He contracts with 180 Digital, our sponsor. And he was telling me about a church that asked him to come video a promo for them. And and they told him, only video the young people. Oh, don't. Don't don't video any of the older people here and make it look like we're this really young, cool, hip church. And he was like, no, it literally would be false advertisement, right? Like we, we can't we can't do that. And so I, I deeply appreciate what you're saying about how that that first step has to be centered on transformation through the word of God. It has to be centered on that idea. And so we're not going to be able to, in this podcast episode or any podcast episode ever in the future, give you the concrete next step. We're going to have to speak in kind of concepts, and you're going to have to pray through and see what that is. But the goal of your first steps have got to be helping you center onto the transformation of the Word. And, you know, a resource that just came to my mind that we can— put a link to that one of the state conventions in Texas put together a, a launch series of church revitalization for for preaching and and how you can they they give you a few sermons that help you center on the word the priority of the word and they have some video commentary some good things like that are helpful that I'm not saying that's the answer but I'm saying that may help get your mind thinking and and praying through how do I help what are those first steps one there needs to be some easy wins we need to see some success uh, of some kind, celebrate some things, and we got to center everything. It really does need to be centered on discipleship and on transformation through the Word of God. Absolutely. You know, we've been looking at Nehemiah as kind of our guide in terms of this this conversation as we talk about, you know, leading change. And he was trying to rebuild a city that had been in disrepair and the people were just kind of okay with it, right? And his heart was broken by it. And so we, we looked at his holy discontent, we looked at his vision. And then here's the the passage that really reminds me of the first steps that he took. And he says to the king, he says, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And then he says this, and then the king granted me what I asked. And here's the key, for the good hand of my God was upon me. And here's the key, right? Let's not, let's not forget this. The reason Nehemiah was a success was not just because he was a good leader and a good strategy guy. Most of the books that you read on Nehemiah, the leadership books that you hear, or the, the preachers will preach a sermon on it. It tends to focus on the strategy. And I don't think the guys that preach on this passage necessarily hope that you only 
think about the strategy. This phrase, for the good hand of my God was upon me, is so key here, right? And we have great leaders and good pastors, and they can do a lot of things in their own strength, but they'll never accomplish what they need to accomplish in order to see God help the church overcome its resistance to change unless the Lord moves, right? So I just want us to really kind of help our guys understand that that we are dependent upon a move and a work of God, not only our leadership ability, not only our strategy. And so in terms of thinking through like a preaching series, like you just mentioned, Jimbo, or a discipleship strategy or path, all those sorts of things, I would say read wide and far, think about all the things that could potentially help you move that church forward. And as you're evaluating those resources and praying through them, only choose the ones that'll help you move forward in the right next step, but always understand that your faith is not in the resource or the strategy, or the preaching series, or all those things. Those are simply tools. Your faith is in the work of God to help revitalize the church. At its best, church revitalization is realigning the the people in the church, the programs of the church, the systems of the church, back to the missions and mandates of the church that God has given us through His Word. That's really what we're trying to do here. And we that has to be how we define success. Success has to has to be defined off of the, the biblical mandates and mission of what God has called us to do. And when we know that that's the goal, so the way that we create next steps a lot of times, at least I do, is I think through the goal. Where am I trying to get to? Right. What what is the end destination? What does that look like? And then work backwards from there. And what is what is that going to require? And then how do I get the things that that's going to require? And if we're the goal is a church that looks like and behaves like and has the culture of the mission and mandates that God has given to his bride in the word of God, that requires mature believers that are on mission and making disciples. That is a significant requirement. It literally cannot be done without that. Your first steps have to be working towards that end. And so you got to think, and realistically, in the next 90 days, what can we do that helps us do that? I do think you can think through some facilities things, and you can think through some some systems things, and you can think through guest services, and you can think through cleaning up the bathroom. and, and, And I think those are things that can be helpful. But I think the temptation, Bob, is those things are easy to see when they're done. They're easier to make a plan for. And because I can make a plan, I can paint this wall, I can remove this carpet, I can fix that toilet, I can do those things. And then I feel like I've accomplished something in the mission. In reality, all you've done is gotten rid of something that maybe was in the way, but you haven't done anything that actually helped you accomplish the mission. And so I'm not saying that those things aren't important. I think we should think through those things. Just recognize their place in the process. That's not the end goal. Yeah. Uh, and it's actually where it's not actually nowhere even near the end goal. But mature disciples who are on mission and making disciples has to be our aim. Absolutely. I, I think as as a concluding word, I think I would say this you got to deal with all those distractions but you got to devote yourself to discipleship. And you do those things, devote yourself to discipleship, and I think you'll see the church move forward in a healthy and uh, profound way uh, with the power of God unleashed through the people as they're surrendering their lives to Jesus. Man, that's some gold. You you dropped some gold. You are the golden replant (laughs) guru. 
<laughs> Look, we've got some great episodes coming up. We're going to jump into leadership next week. Come back to us to see the kind of the end of the change equation, uh, holy discontent, vision, first steps. And then next week we'll be talking about leadership. And this is how we overcome a resistance to change. We'd love to hear from you. We have some other really exciting episodes coming up. We'd love to eventually have you on an episode. Let us know what questions you have. What are some challenges you're facing How can we help you make mature believers who make disciples who are on mission? How can we join you in that process and resource you to do that? Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches, big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.